Welcome to the Conscious Christian Conversations podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Kyleen. We are two spunky Christians with diverse backgrounds and life experiences who want to encourage each other and you listening to challenge your subconscious beliefs. Each episode, the two of us will be having a conversation around a specific topic that we may or may not have different perspectives on. If you haven't already, please listen to episode one to learn what we are all about. Without further ado, here is today's episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of Conscious Christian Conversations with Tanya and Kyleen. Today, we are continuing our discussion on the harmony of the gospels, and we are starting from the very beginning. So today we're going to be talking about uh, basically the very early phases of Jesus' birth and things that happened before him and John the Baptist and those types of topics. And so if anybody wants to follow along, the chapters that you will need to read uh, as we discuss this is Luke chapters one and two and John chapter one, verses one to 14. And then we're going to actually break this up into two sections. The next one's going to be the birth and early childhood. So we'll have a little bit more involved there, but Today, we're primarily going to talk about Luke chapter one and John chapter one, that beginning phase. And um, this kind of goes into kind of the introduction of who Jesus is and John the Baptist and that sort of thing. And so we're just going to kind of talk about uh, what we pulled out of this and, you know, what we think it means and questions we have. And, um, and the next time we're going to go into actually the beginning information that we have about Jesus birth and, and childhood and that sort of thing. One thing I noticed is kind of interesting is between these two sections, we have passages from Matthew, Luke and John, but not Mark. And so Mark actually doesn't have really this, this childhood of Christ or the birth of Christ. He actually starts with like John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting note that like his, his gospel just kind of basically starts right when essentially right when Jesus ministry starts. But here in these other three gospels, we have things sort of like leading up to it. Yeah. And then when you think about, um, it's like little details in each one that then you kind of put together for like the big picture. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And if anybody's interested in uh, following the harmony of the gospels that we're following, we're in blue letter Bible um, under harmony of the gospel. So we'll put the, uh, the link to that in the uh, show notes so that you guys can follow along with us that way as well, if you would like. So, yeah, I actually, I'm, the more I kind of get into this, the more excited I am to study the gospels this way, because I've never really compared and contrasted and, mm -hmm. you know, why, why are they different and, yeah. you know, why does some have some th stories, but not others and understanding a little bit about what we talked about the last couple of weeks of who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were, how they came about telling the story of Jesus and, and writing their gospel. And it really makes you understand like starting with the pre-Christ narrative that we find in Luke and John, <clears throat> John doesn't have anything about the birth of Christ, but he was so interested in talking about Christ's divinity and, you know, that yeah. he is the savior and he is the, he is God come in the flesh that mm -hmm. why would he focus in on the birth? Like that's going to be, I won't say irrelevant, but maybe an irrelevant part to what he was trying to portray. So that, that kind of gave me some greater clarity on, all right, well, these aren't conflicting. Cause I always used to think think there was a part of me that was like, well, these are all kind of different. They're all conflicting. How can they all be true? When in reality, it's just, it's the perspective yeah, that I don't, each has. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't, I don't look at them as conflicting. It's just like different pieces of a puzzle, right? Like, right. yeah. So I think those are like different, um, different words to, yeah. I, I was thinking, um, maybe we can 
uh, read Luke one, one to four, cause it's so short and it kind of just gives you like the, the little summary of like why he is writing this and yeah. how he did it. And then talk about that a little bit, what that means. And then maybe we can read John one to one, one, one to 14 too, just because it's such to me, it's such, it's so different. It's such a different, um, passage and it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it would be nice to kind of just, um, uh, go over that specifically and, and, yeah. and other, and then I think the other stuff most people are so familiar with, we can maybe bullet point it, but I think these two little sections are kind of interesting. Okay. So Luke chapter one verses one through four is literally just the introduction of why Luke is writing this and who he's writing it to. So he says, whereas many have undertaken to write a narrative of those things, which are most surely believed among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also having accurately investigated all things from the very beginning to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of things which you have been told. So there's like 20 things in there, but I think it's so cool. I know, I know. Um, yeah. Okay. First of all, can I just make comment on Theophilus, meaning God lover and how like that was an actual person who was writing to, but how does that apply to every single one of us reading his gospel now? Like I just, that one gave me chills when I understood what Theophilus, what the n- meaning of his name was like, I did not know that. To that's me. Cool, yeah. It's to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's really cool. So I think the first point to pull out here is that kind of in in our last episode, we were talking about um, how uh, the different writers would pull from, it was Mark, I I believe, right? Like was the first book that was written. And, and so that's kind of acknowledged here that many have undertaken to write a narrative of those things, which, you know, they believe. And so there's kind of an acknowledgement right in the first sentence that, Hey, I know that this information is out there. I know that it's spreading. I know that the stories are there. I know that we acknowledge them. We believe them. We, we view them as as factual. And, you know, me, Luke, uh, a scientist, a physician, you know, I kind of want to take a historical perspective here. I want to like really get the facts straight. Um, and so, um, and, and, and he also the fact that he, he interviewed basically to get all of his information. Like he interviewed right. all the pertinent people. And, and the other thing in verse two is that, um, he, he says, just as they were handed down to us by those from the beginning who were eyewitnesses. So he's clarifying mm-hmm. that there is, this is eyewitness documentation. And so that's mm-hmm. a really important thing to kind of note, um, that it's not like, Hey, this is like five generations of stories right. being told, like, right. you know, we're getting this from eyewitnesses. Um, so then he goes, Hey, I took it on myself to investigate everything from the beginning. And so he is right, okay. like, he's like, this is me personally telling you, <laughs> event for all of you guys who know me and how detailed I am, right. That like, I did the investigation myself. Like, this is not just, I'm not gathering documentation and putting it together. He's like, I did this myself, you know? And so that's kind of an interesting point to pull out. Um, and then the reason he's writing it is so that you might know the certainty of the things which you have been told. So he's like, Hey, we have this, this documentation out there. We all sort of believe it. I decided I'm going to research it so that we can know for sure. Right. And it's like, we're going to back up the backups and we're going to make sure that, which kind of is the whole point of this podcast, right? Is like question everything you believe. Right. Exactly. And, right. So Luke is a man after our own heart for sure. Well, that's what I love is because, you know, as we talked about before, the historically, the at the time, nobody really wrote anything down. Like it was all word of mouth and these were stories that passed by. And we all know how that grapevine game works, right? Like the stories get changed and you start hearing different things. And so he actually went back to the source for each one 
and you know accurately documented like what is your memory of what happened he probably interviewed multiple people if there were multiple people there and kind of cross-referenced their stories and clarified right well now you said that this happened but you said that this happened so how did it happen you know I could just see him kind of grilling them for all the details and um, and then writing that down for us. So I, I really love Luke's account because he's just so detailed about that. And, and the fact that he actually just shares with us, like, this is his purpose. He wants to make sure that everything is completely accurate so we can move forward knowing, oh, well, this wasn't just a fabrication or like, you know, they didn't change what happened in this story. Cause there are hey, so I many, know you've been hearing this. I'm here to confirm. Exactly. I'm going to check yeah. it out for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of a good little introduction to, um, if you're looking at the harmony, it's it's called the pre-Christ narrative. So it's like the little introductions, right, before we actually hear about Jesus' birth and everything. Yeah. Um, so then we have John 1, 1 to 14. So this is just a, to me, it's a fascinating passage because it's kind of mm-hmm. poetry, essentially. And so um, I, I kind of, and it has like so much theology in it too. So I just kind of want to run through it really quickly. <clears throat> so in, in verse one, we have the famous in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him and without him, nothing was created that was created in him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. So there's like five verses of poetry and theology before he gets into then there was a man (laughs) (laughs) right it's like okay let's get to but I think that's so important because basically what he's doing here is he's setting up who Jesus is and then leading into the introduction of it so there was a man sent from God whose name was John this man came as a witness in order to testify concerning the light so he's still not naming Jesus but the light that all men through him might believe he was not this light both sent in order to testify concerning the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, he gave the power to become sons of God to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So we have this whole, like, it's really cool. It's like, it's like poetry, but then he's like, okay, but John was this real person that we all know already. And he was this big dramatic figure that like, probably everybody knew that Herod beheaded. Like he was really huge in the culture. Like people knew who he was talking about. And then he still hasn't even named Jesus, but everybody knows who John was talking about. John made it like super clear. Right. So then, so then, uh, he has this whole way of explaining like who he is as this, as this God, as this being of light, as this thing who has always been and always will be, who is here before creation and anything that's been created came from him. And then you're going to get into eventually like, okay, this is Jesus. This is like this, this human being that like, that's just amazing to me. Like the way he describes it's so different than any of the other gospels, right? Like there's, there's like a historical sort of like a peer to peer, sort of like a, this is who this person was. And this is what he meant in the other gospels. And this is like such a spiritual, esoterical, theological presentation of who Jesus is. Yep. 
Yeah. And one of the things, so I, um, I got a, I, I ended up getting that textbook on, um, so it's by Mark L. Strauss. It's called Four Portraits, One Jesus. <clears throat> so it's literally a textbook on the four gospels and kind of, you know, con comparing and contrasting. And I want to read a part in here about um, John's introduction because I found this fascinating. So the term, so the word, um, the Greek version of that is the term logos. And it, so I'm going to quote from the, the book here. The term logos had a conceptual background, both in Judaism and in Greek philosophical thought. <clears throat> So moving forward, um, in Greek philosophy, logos was used of the divine reason that brought unity and order to the cosmos. So Greeks understood the word logos, small l, as being, you know, the um, the intelligence behind the behind nature. Uh, Jewish and Greek ideas come together in. Well, I don't have to read that part, but. Um, and the Jewish um, version of Logos with a capital L was understood to mean the messenger of God, mediator between God and creation. And so when you look at who he was writing to, who John was writing to, which if we recall from our, um, I think it was last week that we talked about, that he was writing to clarify specifically to the Gentiles, but then also obviously to the Jews, because there was a lot of infighting about Jesus and who he was. And um, the way that he used the word, the word logos, that both Jews and um, Gentiles would have understood the concept that he was talking about based on their understanding and interpretation of the word in their culture. So it, to me, that was just really cool that, you know, the same word has has a specific meaning to both cultures and they both apply to who Jesus was and um Anyway, I just thought that was and really logos means logos is the word, the word. So yeah, so when when he has when he says the word, you know, why is it the word? I I always wondered, well, why was Jesus called the word with a capital W? Well, it's because that's what logos meant in both Greek and in Jewish um, mm -hmm. uh, language, I guess. So well, if you want to take it back to he's talking about this being um, part uh, the the being the energy the light that created everything mm -hmm. you go back into gen genesis um everything was created with a word right and so it kind of all ties it ties yeah. everything all together to go okay well that makes total sense like why um he's he's really making an emphasis here on who jesus is that he is god and yeah. that he is eternal. He's not just, cause a lot of people today will, um, will say, you know, yeah. Okay. I believe that Jesus existed historically and I believe that maybe he was a really good person or he was a prophet, but yeah. really if you study like what he said, I always like, um, CS Lewis's quote about this and I'm going to get the quote wrong, but it's basically like, you, if you believe that, you know, in him, you either have to believe that he is insane or he is who he says he is because yeah. he makes some pretty dramatic claims about himself. Yeah. And so you can't just say, okay, well, this is a, a prophet or, or a good person. Like he, like the things that he was doing and the things that he was saying, if they weren't true, he was like psychotic. Yeah. So, um, so here, John is really making the point, like, no, he is this he is divinity and he has been here for eternity. He is part of eternity. 
and he came into this physical being to do what he needed to do. But we're using this terminology and we're using like this expressive language to really start this gospel off with the idea that he is God. Yes. And, and that kind of brings me, I was actually just having a conversation about this with a friend yesterday. Um, and like it, I used to, you know, I, I had questions and, and all of that. And I think we all do at some point, but looking at the, the 300 old Testament prophecies made about the Messiah and Jesus filled every single one of them, there is no way that a human being could plan his life out to the point where he fulfills all those prophecies, especially since a lot of those prophecies, or I won't say a lot, but some of those prophecies weren't even directly related to him. Well, they were related to him, but they weren't of him. Like, for example, the casting of lots for his clothes during the crucifixion, that was prophesied. I think it was back in Isaiah, wasn't it? Isaiah, I think it was Isaiah. Um, where they said that they would cast lots for his clothes. And that was fulfilled by, you know, the group of men that were casting lots for Jesus' clothes. So the fact that the Old Testament supports Jesus, you know, through all the prophecies that he fulfilled, like there's there's no way on earth that, especially if he was an insane man, could mm -hmm. have, you know, been able to fulfill those. So it, it well, just- Well, then you of, have the whole, we talked about this last time too, about the whole like, the how how all the apostles ended up be essentially being martyred well jesus himself voluntarily went to death and so yeah. it's like who does that yeah you know um an insane I, man or the same right yeah mankind. right yeah this, yeah yeah who does that i mean i mean when you and i try not to think about it to be quite honest because it's horrifying but like if you actually yeah. go through the process of thinking about what he experienced nobody yeah. would voluntarily do that un yeah. unless yeah you yeah. were truly who you said you were and it was so symbolic and spiritual to the people of like who he is and what he is as the sacrificial lamb paying for their sins and covering yeah. it with blood and yeah. so and that those people knew what that meant and what right. that represented right yeah. um okay so back into the pre we're getting all the way to the uh, the crucifixion pre-christ yeah. narrative um so there's one more chunk in the pre-christ narrative and that is the first chapter of Luke and this talks about um the uh, the uh coming of John the Baptist who um was his cousin and who um essentially was his whole purpose in existing was to pave the way and to prophesy uh, that that he's coming. And so I there's a lot actually in this passage that I think is very interesting. Um, but for those of you who know the story, Zechariah and Elizabeth are, I think, probably older in years because, you know, it says that she's barren, which probably means they've tried to have kids for a long period of time. And like, maybe she's past the age where they think that's even possible anymore. Um, you know, we don't know. I don't think they say the ages or anything, but, um, you know, they, they are barren. They've tried to have kids. They can't have kids. So this is interesting. The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah saying he will have a son and they're going to name him John. I just think it's interesting because in Mary's story at Mary and Joseph, the angel appears to Mary in this situation, the, the, so in Mary and Joseph, it, he appears to the mother of Jesus, the person who's going to do the bearing of the child. And in this story, Gabriel appears to the father. Mm -hmm. um, and says, Hey, this is going to happen. I just thought that was kind of an interesting point. But then also one of the things that I notice a lot, um, in the, ch in the chapters one and two is, 
um, little notes about like who had the Holy Spirit. And I think it may come actually more in, um, no, it is in, in chapter one here. And we'll talk about that in a second. So, so, okay. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are barren. The angel appears and says, um, Zechariah, you, you're going to have the son and you need to name him John. Um, verse 15 says he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy spirit, even from his mother's womb. Okay. So that's like the first note that we have about the Holy spirit. So it's interesting because as we continue going through the new Testament, um, we know that the Holy spirit is not given until Pentecost, unless there are these specific examples of when he has been given outside of that. And there's so many notations of that happening in these first couple chapters of Luke. And I think it's like super fascinating. So basically John the Baptist, like essentially at the moment of conception also has the Holy spirit. Like that's so crazy to me to think about. Yeah. Like, what does that even feel like? Like, how is that? And it's, it's separate from his mom having the Holy spirit, even though she has him, because it says later in the chapter that she has the Holy spirit. There's a moment. It's when she meets Mary, when mm -hmm. Mary comes in that, that, that the Holy spirit then indwells her as well. So it's like, she's the mom and she has this baby that the angel prophesied that is given the Holy spirit, basically from day one in her womb. So she has this like magical thing happening in this her body. This magic baby. <laughs> this magic baby. <laughs> Why do you think that's so I thought that was fascinating. I never really paid attention to like the gift of the Holy Spirit specifically so many times in separate well, situations here. Yeah. And relating to that, um, we're coming out of the the silent years, right? So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years between the last book of the Old Testament and uh, Matthew and or, or the birth of Jesus. And so then like all of the people of Israel, like they hadn't had a prophet in 400 years because the prophets were the ones who were gifted the Holy Spirit. And so the fact that she was told like, you're, he's going to be born. Obviously he's going to be a great, a great person because he was given the Holy Spirit from birth. So he's going to be this great prophet. And, um, you know, that was going to be like, that's a really big deal. So th this wasn't just like, cause I never really, yeah, I knew John the Baptist was kind of important because he was, you know, like talking about Jesus beforehand, but I never really understood how important John the Baptist was in this story until well, you, know, you get about you get all three of them, the mother, the son, and well, the father get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's true. They're going through this process, which is like super cool. And then I also thought it was just as like a personal note, I thought it was interesting that he's not supposed to drink want like anything alcoholic mm -hmm. he's never supposed and then it's immediately followed with he he's the the commandment for him is to never drink anything alcoholic and he will be filled with the holy spirit even from his mother's womb what i find interesting about this is that the times that i have felt very like aligned and spiritually connected if i drink alcohol it almost like dissipates that and we've had I, this conversation. Yeah. yeah. It like cuts it off. I, I yeah. feel the same way. It's like, I can't talk to God the same way. It's a very interesting yeah. thought. So it's like the, the point kind of the connection there. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So then, so then Zachariah is uh, made mute because he doubted the angel. He asked some questions about yeah. it. Mm -hmm. How dare you? And um, so there's a very interesting process that happens then because for nine months, this, his dad cannot talk, right? Yeah. He cannot speak. And um that that is such a life-changing thing so then elizabeth gets pregnant Especially for a priest 
right? right. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Like this man of God. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then Elizabeth gets pregnant. I never really paid attention to this and there's really no answer for it, but it goes, Elizabeth was pregnant and she hid herself for five months. Oh, I I'm miss like, that part. Yeah. I'm like, why'd she hide herself? Like, why did she hide herself? <laughs> I don't know if maybe I'm, I'm missing. Like, I don't think it's like a Jewish thing that like you separate from society for the first five months or I don't think that's like a thing. Um, so I'm not really sure what that meant. I just took yeah. a little note of it. Cause I was like, why did she hide herself for five months? Like that's kind of, maybe now here's a thought she's been barren and they probably tried for children. Maybe she was really worried that she'd lose the baby and she didn't want to go public until just do bed rest she, and, she yeah. really felt sure that it would last, you know, yeah, because you yeah. think in today's society, like all, you know, when women have a lot of miscarriages or when they have this or when they have right. different health conditions, right. There is an aspect to like, let me not tell people until I feel like this is really happening. Yeah. But you would think also that, well, I guess it depends on the level of faith that, you know, the human doubt versus the level of faith you have. Cause if an angel came and told me that I was going to have a son and then I have, well, the angel came pregnant. to her husband and he, and her husband can't well, talk to her. So think about that. That's, that's, that's he true. may have written something mention. down to her. Yeah. But you know, the angel did not come it. directly to her. Well, that's true. Well, I don't know. That's, that is interesting. Now I want to dig into that a little bit, see what some of the commentate, commentate, com commenters know. say about it. So then, um, so then Elizabeth goes and hides herself for five months. Then when she's six months pregnant, so I thought the timing of this was interesting. So it is, um, it is about a six month difference. So the angel comes, tells Zechariah, you guys are going to get pregnant. Elizabeth gets pregnant, hides herself for five months at, so she's been out in the world, I guess for a month at this point. Month six, the same angel, Gabriel, appears to Mary, so directly to the mother, probably because it's like, hey, <laughs> this is important. <laughs> this is like, yeah, this is the God well, I mean, the universe. if you think about it, Zacharias and Elizabeth would have had a child in the normal way. And so then the man That's would true, have yeah. been the one yeah. that would have been informed because he was like the father and he was the head of the household. Whereas with Mary's situation wasn't like Joseph, yeah, Joseph really wasn't involved with yeah. It. yeah so yeah. he would the angel would have gone directly to Mary to let her know what the heck's happening yeah so then she gets um this information when her cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant <laughs> so then um later uh Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and then we, we already have the information that John has the Holy spirit already. John leaps in I know, his I mom's that. belly. At he recognizes them even in the womb. Yeah. Right. And, well, and he's a six month baby. Like just think about how yeah. like tiny he is. And so, okay. So he recognizes that God is present. He leaps in his mother's belly. Elizabeth was then in that moment filled with the Holy spirit, which is like so fascinating to me. So John already has it. Somehow Elizabeth didn't. He meets Jesus in womb to womb, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then his mom gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely a fascinating concept there to me. Yep. Yep. Um, so then the other piece that I thought was really interesting is that Mary then stays with her for about three months. So it's Mary's first trimester and Elizabeth's last trimester, and they stay together. And it's like, I don't know if that's because um there was a little bit of safety there with the whole um, you know, Mary shouldn't be pregnant. She's not married and like cultural stigma type thing, or like, I don't know what's happening to me. This is incredibly crazy that like an angel came to me and said, I'm going to like give birth to like 
God with, <laughs> without, you know, with that, without having sex, like, um, I'm, you know, I'm having a little bit of a panic attack here. I'm going to go to my cousin, Mary, who's also had an angelic experience. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, well, that's I more, I always assumed it was more like that come, come sisterhood, right? Like yeah. they both had very, very strange circumstances around their pregnancies. And so very. I would assume like nobody else is going to understand it. And I'm sure that there was a lot of stigma around Mary and, you know, looks and stuff. So yeah, I would assume she'd want to go be with family and, and, you know, Elizabeth understood what was happening because she was going through it too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then just like the, the purpose of both pregnancies was, um, aligned in the same plan. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that, that relationship there. And then it sounds like maybe they were pretty close together anyway and yeah. um, knew each other and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, so that probably, means they were that cousins, Mary... I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So it probably means that Mary was not actually around Joseph for like the first trimester, yeah. um, or at least wasn't living with him. So that's kind of just interesting. She was living with, um, so, and then it doesn't, it gets a little unclear as to whether like John, it, it sounds like the way it's written, it sounds like Mary left and then Elizabeth gave birth. It kind of sounds like it was right around the time that she was due Mary leaves. And then John is born. And then okay, I have a question though, real quick regarding Mary and Joseph. Were they married at that point? Um, at what point did they actually get, because they were betrothed when point. Mary got um, uh, pregnant. Well, but... Yeah. The betrothal thing is, yeah, it's interesting. Cause it's like sort of like marriage, but, but then not it, really. Cause you can't, not, you stand, still can't he lie. could have still put her with, away. Like, but it would have right. still been considered a divorce at that point. Um, because they had like made the commitment. So but through Jewish I, law, they could not have had, they could not have laid together as man and wife. I'm not a hundred percent sure what okay. the Jewish uh, culture is on that. So I'm not, it, I don't, and I don't think that if there was a specific marriage ceremony, the Bible ever says when it was. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if it ever did and I just missed it. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. So Mary leaves. Um, John is born. Everybody goes, Hey, let's name him Zachariah after his dad. And, and Elizabeth is like, no, we can't do that. We have to call him John. And then they go over Elizabeth's head and they're like, Hey, Zachariah, what do you think about this? And he takes a tablet out so he can write. So he must've communicated to his wife, I'm sure in, um, throughout this process. <clears throat> and, uh, and he goes, no, the name must be John. And at that moment, his, uh, he was able to speak. he's able to speak. Yeah. And then, um, and then he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he offers a prophecy about John and, and everything that's like to come. Yep. And that's kind of the, that is the pre-Christ narrative that we have between the gospels. It's basically like this grand setup of like, who is Jesus? He is this eternal being, um, who's coming to kind of prepare the world for him. John, what was John's origin story? We have that here in Luke chapter one and we have a lot of different references of the Holy Spirit kind of being part of this process. And then also just really interesting to me, the involvement of angels in orchestrating everything and communicating yeah. to humans and like their level of participation in this process is very interesting to me too. Yeah. And then the one thing that we haven't, uh, haven't really mentioned is Mark's lack of anything up until, you know, the, the ministry of, uh, or the baptism of Jesus. And so he's quiet on the entire childhood and everything. Like we have nothing from Mark um, until, well. I did after. say that, Tanya. I said that right at the beginning. Well, we said that at the beginning, <laughs> but um, one of the reasons why is yeah. because if we recall, Mark was um, was <clears throat> writing down Peter's memories. 
So Mark wasn't there. He wasn't an eyewitness. Um, he didn't really have any relationship with Jesus <clears throat> and Peter, you know, Jesus is not going to sit there and talk about his birth story to Peter, who he meets right before, as he's starting his ministry. So he, you know, that, that would be why Mark completely doesn't even address it. Cause it wasn't even, well, and like Luke really that. is the only one that does like the other ones are sort of like a little bit about John the Baptist or a little bit about who Jesus is, but right. Luke's really the only one that has like the story story. Right. And there's, because the, he did all the interviews of the parties involved. Yeah. And there's the suggestion that Luke chapter two, which we're going to come to in the next episode was maybe given to him directly from Mary, the mother of Jesus. So that's kind mm -hmm. of an interesting, like, yeah. So he went out, he was like, I'm going to find out, like, I'm going to talk to these people. And yeah, you're right. So they're diff different perspectives, different people. Yep. They're going to have different pieces of the information. And so, yeah, I just think it's, it, when you put them together like this, it's very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, fantastic. Thank you for joining us for this week uh, for our discussion on the harmonies of the gospel. Next week, we're going to dive a little bit further into Jesus's birth and um, kind of the early childhood, um, at least as far as we know it. So join us next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our mission on this podcast is to probe topics within the Christian faith to ensure that what we believe is in alignment with scripture and that we understand why we believe what we do. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Did this topic challenge your belief? Did we give you a new perspective? Or did it solidify what you already knew to be true? Leave us a comment and tell us your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you.